Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're continuing our series on narcissism to focus on the narcissistic partner. Joining us to explore this topic is Dr. Les Carter, who's a psychotherapist, author, and speaker. You'll definitely want to check out his books, When Pleasing You is Killing Me, The Anger Trap, and Enough About You, Let's Talk About Me, How to Recognize and Manage the Narcissist in Your Life. He's the founder of Marriage Path, a comprehensive and effective approach to relationship restoration, and has a fantastic YouTube channel called Surviving Narcissism. I am such a huge fan of your work, Dr. Carter, and I am so delighted to welcome you to our show. Oh, Samantha, the, the pleasure's mine. Thank you for having me. Yay. So since we started this series, Denise and I have received so many emails from listeners basically saying, wow, those episodes are really resonating with me. I think I'm married to or dating or in a relationship with a narcissist, but I'm not sure. Can you tell our listeners what are some telltale signs that they are indeed engaging with a narcissist? Okay. Well, let's just kind of, let me give you a quick little overview of what I am thinking of when I use that term, uh, narcissist. That there are multiple behavioral and attitudinal kind of signs. First, a narcissist is someone that must be in control. They have a very high level of control. Now, sometimes it can be of a very open, overt kind of a variety where they're bossy and forceful and pushy. Sometimes it's more of a covert variety where there's more of a subtle sense of stubbornness or I'll do things in my own timing and nobody else is going to uh, push me and tell me what to do until I'm ready, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, in addition, you have low levels of empathy. Um, in healthy relationships, as you and I would talk with each other, one person would say something and the empathizer says, well, I, I want to know more. And you try to learn about what's going on about that person from their perspective. And then you would be able to do that back and forth. Narcissists don't do that. They don't empathize. It's like, well, why would I want to know you? Uh, going back to control, you just need to do what I tell you to do. Then in addition to that, you have uh, higher levels of manipulation and exploitation. There's constantly this uh, power play kind of feeling that you can have with the narcissist that they're trying to make you fit some sort of a mold. And if you're not uh, willing to go along, then they're, uh, they'll either bust through the front door and try to make you do what they say. They'll go around the back door or the side window, and they'll, they, but they're, they're going to try to force you into their mold one way or the other. In addition, the narcissist likes to be on the superior end of things. Uh, one up, one down. I know better, and you need to understand that. Uh, on top of that, narcissists uh, have an exploitive uh, nature, and they have an attitude of entitlement. Uh, this is what I deserve uh, on my end. They tend not to receive input very well. They can be very defensive and thin-skinned. So that's, that's kind of an, uh, an ugly list of characteristics to have. And then on top of everything else, there are times when you don't see all of those kind of ingredients right up front because another defining feature of narcissism is that they can, for a while, project a very pleasant kind of demeanor. They can have a good public image and be very charming and friendly and seemingly cooperative, only to find later on that that was just part of a ruse. And then all of this other stuff starts uh, coming up to the surface as the uh, as you get to know them more fully. Yes, I think you've talked about that where you've said they will often rush the dating process because they can't maintain that 
I think you called it the mirroring effect where they'll just mirror your likes and interest. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I'll give you a simple illustration. Uh, uh, let's say that you're someone that uh, likes to play tennis and you mentioned something about that. And the narcissist can say, well, you know, I never did play tennis, but uh, I had a cousin that was really good at it. And so tell me more about it. And they can seem real interested in it when in fact they couldn't care less. Um, but it's their kind of way of, of trying to uh, get on the inside with you and show themselves to be a really nice person. Or someone else may uh, say something like, um, my kid did this, that, and the other, and the narcissist can come along and say, oh, that's such a delightful kind of thing, and they can seem so eager and willing to, to, uh, to have you tell more. The, the empath, uh, the, uh, uh, the person that has healthy skills, is going to be talking in that understanding and caring and sharing kind of way because they're trying to get to know you. When the narcissist comes along and says those very same kind of things and they seem to show interest, what they're doing is they're positioning themselves so that they can then come back later on and have data on you or they kind of know what your weaknesses are or where they can get their entree points into your life so that they can control you. I mean, that's that scheming, manipulative kind of stuff that the empath just doesn't think about because they're just so not there. But the narcissist, that's how they think. And so uh, if, if you don't think like them, then uh, you're almost, uh, well, you no, know, almost to it. You've got a real vulnerability because uh, they're over there just kind of plotting their course. You're thinking it, it looks good and it seems good. And it's only later on that you find out that it was just that. It was mirroring or it was a, a mirage. So much of this seems to uh, go hand in hand with covert emotional abuse. And that comes up with a lot of people that I talk with. They'll be in a relationship with someone and the, the head games and the manipulation and exactly what you just described, someone who's very charismatic, attractive, intelligent. So people are kind of drawn into the web and then they're in there and thrown off balance because it doesn't add up with what they're feeling on the inside and what's actually happening after a period of time. So how can people see that in their partner or recognize it when they've been, um, had, I don't want to say they've been blind to it, but they, it doesn't add up intuitively because this kind, wonderful person is suddenly doing these undermining things in their relationship or in their lives. Yeah, and that, that's the hardest thing. Uh, I, I've had some people who are quite capable and intelligent and, and uh, good people skills that later on after the relationship has fallen apart, they're over there shaking their heads saying, how in the world did I get pulled mm -hmm. into that? And uh, one of the things that I say is, first of all, don't, don't kick yourself or fault yourself um, for having gotten pulled in by a narcissist style, because some of them are very good at what they do. And uh, you're just kind of thinking, like I say, like that normal person. Um, one of the things, though, that you have to do when you're engaging with somebody, uh, particularly in a getting to know you kind of way, now whether we're talking about a dating situation or work or friendships, or then as you uh, get into the adult years and you're in engaging with uh, extended family members and they seem really nice and pleasant, uh, be slow. Take your time. Uh, narcissists uh, can be good for a while, but eventually uh, that wolf that's in sheep's clothing is going to shed the sheep's clothing and the wolf is going to come out. And so uh, you have to kind of check your, your neediness level 
and make sure that you're engaging with people uh, rather than thinking, oh, good, this is somebody that likes me and loves me. I'm, gonna, I'm just going all in with them. You, you, you've got to have your own inner stability and your own inner peace that already exists as opposed to thinking, oh, if I can just get that right person to be my friend or to be kind to me and be helpful, then my life is going to be complete. You need to have a certain amount of completion from the inside out that you already possess. And, and therein lies some of the problem because many times we go into our primary relationships with a certain neediness leading the way and that can get us in trouble. That's such great advice because the narcissist can't wear the mask that long. So if you wait, you will get the clues and tips you need. But if you've already overlooked those cues and tips and you're waking up and you're realizing, oh my gosh, I'm in a relationship with a narcissist, what are some things people can do to protect themselves and learn to deal with this while they're waking up. Like one of the techniques I love where you say, how do you argue with a narcissist? You don't. <laughs> right. Right. So what are some things? Well, well I, I was about to say, can I, can I answer your question with a don't? Uh, when, you, when you say, what do you do when you realize you're dealing with a narcissist? Um, keep in mind that at the top of the list of narcissistic characteristics is their craving for control. And so they're all about trying to get the, uh, the final word and uh, forcing you into a mold. One of the worst things that you as an empath can do as you see it is you can go into a counter control mode. Uh, for example, uh, there, there may be times when, uh, when a, a narcissist is being pretty uh, argumentative and overbearing. And before you know it, you're argumentative and overbearing. And, and you're going toe-to-toe and, and uh, saying, well, I hate it when you do this. And then you try to convince them that they need to do otherwise. And, of course, I would ask, yeah, and every time you go into that counter-control mode, how well does it work? And, of course, the answer is not at all. They just go uh, into their uh, even more forceful style. You'll lose every time. And so uh, having said that, when you when you begin realizing you're dealing with somebody who has narcissistic traits, and this may sound kind of counterintuitive, you start with the notion that says that person is totally free. They get to be anything they want to be, and it's not my job to make them anything other than what they are. And when I say counterintuitive, uh, what I mean is uh, there's there's this voice screaming inside of your mind that says, "But I don't want them to be that." And and my response is but they are. And so rather than thinking that it becomes your job to reform them or to make them see the light, you, 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 you start with the notion that this person is, is kind of, they've got their own agenda. And the best thing I can do is, is stay out of any kind of effort to uh, arm twist them. I've got to learn how to have my own sense of healthiness from the inside out with or without their cooperation what would that require of me in this moment? That, that's perfect because mm-hmm. I've, I've often said that uh, in toxic relationships that I've stepped away from with people that I'm the one that changed, not the person. And that's such a vital point is when you stop identifying with who you are, with what that person is choosing to do or bring to the relationship, it changes the whole game. Yeah. It's yeah. Really and and frankly, it, it throws them off their game, so to speak. Uh, when you don't get in there and mix it up with them because they love nothing more than arguing because they'll argue and uh, pull their control tactics until they just wear you out. 
uh, what's the old saying? Uh, never get into a pig pen and wrestle with a pig because uh, you'll get all muddy and the pig loves it. Uh, <laughs> something to that effect. And uh, it, I, I don't want to get into a, a battle for control with the controlling person because they love it. It's like game on. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, the way you win is you don't try to win, if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. So in the meantime, you still, that doesn't mean you just lay down and do nothing. You still have your own personal initiatives and your own assertions and your own boundaries and stipulations that you do. Right. And so during that process of realizing this, it's important to practice that self-care, to practice that self-love and to reach out to a trusted therapist and start to find your boundaries and learn to feel safe inside yourself without being really changed or debilitated by the criticism of the narcissist. And I think that's really hard to do, but it can be done, right? Yes. Now, you're talking from the vantage point of the empath. Let's go in there for just a minute. Um, The empath kind of, as a general rule, tends to operate with the philosophy that says, can't we all just get along? And so they're going to go into a relationship with a certain element of optimism and hopefulness and willingness because that's just kind of the way they are. And you look at that, and and you said this in your um, uh, introductory uh, comments here, that's a good thing. And and it's not like you need to be vilified for that, to say, yeah, I'd like to get along well with people. Um, But then sometimes that empath has to uh, come back and face what I refer to as your ugly truth. And ugly truth can say, you know, some people, when you're nice to them, see that as an invitation to pounce. I've got to factor that in. And so you kind of have to arm yourself with the realization that just because you have a willingness and a desire and, and a skill set to draw upon to make relations go, go well, it doesn't mean that a narcissistic individual is going to appreciate it and say, hey, thanks, I'd like to join you. <laughs> In fact, uh, there's a low likelihood they will. So unfortunately, you have to learn how to think that way. And it's a, there's a certain amount of skepticism that you have to maintain uh, so that you don't just get pulled into their early charming ways only to find out that it's not quite so charming after all. That is so true. I think for a lot of us, it's been such an ingrained pattern as empaths that we grew up with a family member or a caregiver who was a narcissist. So there's a familiarity to that and it's what we draw in. But I've done this in my own family now is a lot of the choices that I've made as a mother were to help break that cycle in my children's lives. And um, how? what would be some skills that our listeners could use to help break that cycle if, if that has been a constant pattern throughout their lives? You mean like with their own children? Or with, yes, because I, I, I've seen a lot of people that we talk to, a lot of people that are very close to me. It seems like we grew up in families where there was a narcissist or narcissistic tendencies, and then mm-hmm. we ended up in significant relationships because of the familiarity, because that was, is what we thought love was. And we're trying to shift away from that, but also help our, our own children to have healthy yeah. well and and uh, knowing that that need that narcissistic need for control leads to a real low inclination toward empathy you as the empath want to think you know what i'm going to pick up on my best tools and inject it into my conversations and discussions 
Uh, for example, if you're starting with a narcissist or somebody that turns out to be a narcissist, you want to be the kind of person that as there's conflict or strain or difference that you say, uh, hey, let's, let's talk about this. I noticed that you feel differently than I do. How did you arrive at that? And, and may I share with you my perspective? And so in the adult-to-adult -adult kind of life, uh, you uh, employ the skill set that goes along with empathy and, and just see if it sticks, see if the other person can reciprocate. More often than not, the narcissist can't, uh, can't go with you there very long because uh, they'll start telling you how it ought to be and, and uh, they'll uh, get off on tangents. And, uh, and, and when you realize that person really isn't very tuned into me, I don't think they really know who I am and they don't want to know who I am, then that's a really large red flag that says, this is not a safe person. Okay, let's take that same notion, and uh, as you're talking with your children, particularly as they get deeper into their adolescence and even in their early adult years, coach them and, and let them know. Uh, one of the things that I hope that you notice in me that's important is I, I like to know who people are. And I like to know why they think and feel and interpret the way they do. And so that's a skill that I'd like you also to know. And, and, uh, and for example, uh, uh, it's always good to do it in the midst of a difficulty. If the kid is angry, and even if they're angry at you, then you let them know. This is a time when we need to do this uh, understanding thing. So let's slow down. Take a deep breath. I want to hear who you are and what you feel. And then I'd like for you to share with me that same courtesy. And then let's let's talk things through. And you establish yourself as that go-to kind of a person. Uh, I, I, I had a great, uh, this is kind of a funny little uh, uh, illustration, but a, a great illustration of uh, I was at a, uh, some people's houses. And uh, the, uh, this guy had a, uh, a daughter who was about 13 or 14. And she and her uh, girlfriend came running into the living room where the, uh, the adults were. And they were talking about how there was this boy out there giving them a hard time. And, and it was so difficult. And so the, the mother said to her 14-ish daughter, you know, I think we're going to have to talk this out, aren't we? And so that 14-year-old girl turned to her friend and said, you have to understand, this is the way we do things in our house. <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, nobody does this, but we do this. And that mother had already established herself as being the person that says, yeah, when we have a strain or a tension, let's sit down and talk it through. And so you want to establish yourself as being somebody that can and will do that. And, uh, and it's, it's wonderful when you know that you're bringing that, uh, the, the healthy part of your personality into a relationship of a life uh, with someone who's still trying to figure it out. And you're able to uh, kind of point them in a, in a really good, healthy direction like that. Well, and that goes back to talking about it. I feel like narcissists have thrived for so long because nobody talked about it for a long time. And I think when parents are able to say, you know, yes, your your parent loves you, they're a little narcissistic, they're selfish, but, you know, let's talk about how this makes you feel and kind of just shed some light on it and bring it out in the open. It It yeah. helps to give that child permission to say, yeah, I feel kind of weird when dad only talks about himself or mom is always putting me down. And, and yeah. I think that honesty is crucial. Oh yeah. And, and you kind of need to establish yourself. Like you mentioned that uh, many empaths grew up with a narcissistic parent. And so the narcissistic parent is going to just be a teller. Let me tell you what. And, uh, and so as you get into your adult lives, I'm hoping that you have that 
antenna out that says, I'm going to watch for other tellers. And if that's the predominant way that a person seems to communicate, uh, that person's not going to get on my in, inner circle with me. I, I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to, I want to uh, engage with someone that says, what do you think? Or I've got a thought, but I'd like to hear from you as well. Or I can tell that that really seemed to upset you. Let, let's figure out why that is. And, uh, and then of course you want to be that kind of person that uh, does that. It's, um, you, you establish the, uh, the, uh, the foundation, you establish the pattern, the model to go with. And then as other individuals can go with you in that same thing, that's the kind of person you want to engage with. And then if you have younger people underneath you, then you uh, wind up giving them the example worthy to be followed. As far as, and, and this is not technical or, or professional, but just that worn down feeling. So a lot of people that are, are in a relationship with a narcissist, and I'm, you had mentioned earlier before we got on the air that there is a spectrum to narcissism. And I, I love that analogy because it's so spot on, but it also highlights that there are nuances to this that we might not see as clearly as if someone is a blatant narcissist. But how, yeah. and, and we can talk about self-care and we can talk about boundaries and we can talk about, but I also know in the midst of it, when you're full blown in that relationship, what are some things that, that can help an empath find that strength to, to set the boundaries or to, to realize they are enough? Because after so long of being worn down, that's a, that's yeah. a really difficult yeah, well, you, you, let's begin with uh, a, a fundamental understanding about humanity. Um, a flaw that a narcissist has, and, and, and you're correct, narcissism is a pattern on a spectrum. Some people are, if we can uh, do this and say uh, um, on a scale of 1 to 100, uh, some people are in that 95% range where they're going to respond to a whole lot of episodes with a whole lot of that control and bossiness and insensitivity. They're way on down the end of that spectrum. Some people might be at the 80% level. It's pretty strong and very dominant, and so the, they're not very healthy. Some people, they're kind of down at the 62% level. It, it's there. It's kind of prominent, but sometimes they have the pleasantness that goes. And then you have some people that are down at the 40% level and the really healthy ones are down around 20% or so. I mean, if you can think about it that way, we all have certain moments where we go into our um, control mode or we uh, can sometimes miss uh, a person's emotions and we speak with a bit of insensitivity. So we each can have that propensity. But the good news is that uh, those of us who are really growing uh, understand that, we see that, and then uh, we do something healthy about it. The narcissist just doesn't do anything healthy about it. They just keep rolling on. Uh, so uh, as you're trying to figure out how best to respond to all of that, uh, then uh, it's a matter of knowing uh, that there's um, we all have some elements here. Uh, the narcissist is the one that you see who is constantly trying to, uh, to get on the one upside. And what I was saying, let's take a look at human nature. No human being really has the right to hold themselves in a superior position over another human being. And so if you've been the empath and you've been on the down position uh, from that narcissist dominance and they, they keep you down and they keep themselves elevated at your expense, first you need to just reorient your thinking and, and acknowledge that person who tries to be superior is wrong. I don't mean that to be condemning. I don't mean that to be harsh or mean-spirited or judgmental. 
It's simply wrong. Uh, healthy relationships start with the sense that says every human being uh, d- deserves uh, worth and equality. And in fact, I, I uh, you mentioned my surviving narcissism channel. I have another one that's just called uh, on YouTube. It's called Doctor Les Carter, and I pick up on uh, uh, Doctor C D R C stands for dignity, respect, civility, and that's kind of a mantra that I have. And uh, I, let's let's acknowledge that every person deserves dignity and respect, and I want to be civil. And so as you have what you know to be a wise and a well-chosen way of thinking, uh, then you stand in that. And then when the narcissist says, let's play the one-up, one-down game, and you're going to be in the one-down position, in your mind, you can decide, you know what, I, you, you may play that game all night, but I'm not playing it. Uh, sorry, I'm out. And, uh, and so you, uh, you go on uh, with your sense of well-being, and, and you just opt out. You don't play it. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a pattern of thinking first that has to be in place so that it then can translate into the proper kind of behavior. Oh, I love that. I love that acronym too, DRC. Uh, Actually, uh, now this seems kind of cheesy. I want to get coffee mugs and put it on there. (laughs) Oh, I don't think that's cheesy. You know, that's what I want to be. I want to stand for dignity, respect, civility. And uh, as as the empath, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm all over that. I want to do that. And, uh, and so, uh, the narcissist is like, yeah, dignity, respect, civility, you need to give all that to me. And so they think of that, but from a very different angle. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about that bond or that magnet between the empath and the narcissist. I've heard you call narcissists troubled souls. And I'm just yeah. wondering, do you think on some level they know that they're a narcissist and they are trying to learn or emulate some of the compassion that the empath has or do you feel that the narcissist just sees the empath as a stool that they can topple more often than not it's b Uh, they see the empath as a stool that they can topple i I get asked that question a lot Uh, do narcissists realize that they're narcissists and my general answer is probably no because uh, if you were to say, I think that you're acting in a narcissistic way, they're going to hear an insult. And it's like, nobody insults me. And so they're, they're not going to receive it for the information that they might gain out of it. Narcissists begin life in their early years, let's say uh, as early as four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Somewhere way deep back in their earlier history, they realized there are the ones who are on top and they're the ones who are on bottom. They're the ones who get to call the shots, and they're the ones who get told what to do. And uh, as they're observing how things work, they start conniving even way back then and trying to figure out, how can I not be the one who's down there on the bottom? And and so uh, over time, they try to figure out how to be that superior person. Now, many of them, it's like they go into achievement mode. And uh, they, they just try to be the best and make straight A's or be the star athlete or something like that. And, and then they can, at the end of the day, say, see how terrific I am. Uh, many of them also go into high opinion mode. If you have an opinion, mine's better. And so they, they learn early on that uh, life is a competition and I've got to be at the top of the, of the heap. 
when that happens, then they they actually begin uh, formulating what we would refer to as a false self. They 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 become afraid of sharing their own vulnerability. They're afraid of saying, "I hurt." or I'm struggling, or I'm not real sure, or I don't know. Because you see, that means that they're down there with all the regular folk, and they've already consciously or subconsciously decided, I'm not doing that. And so they come into their adult years with this commitment to being on the high end of the equation. And so they've been subconsciously pushing down their true self, which is humanity, and, and so when you ask, do they know who they are and what they are, uh, the answer usually is no, because they live life with such a mask. And they, they live life with a, a very low inclination to say, well, actually, this is really what's going on inside of me. Uh, uh, they can't do that, because they're afraid that if they show themselves to be human like the rest of the folk out there, they'll get squashed. And so there, there's a real subconscious a commitment that says, I must be on top. So when you say, does a narcissist know that that's what they are? Well, that presumes that they're honest enough with themselves to be able to say, well, actually, I hurt. And they, they, they can't do that. So uh, there's a low likelihood that they'll change, which is why there's such a frustrating bunch of people to work with. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, as a therapist, I can't even. Well, what if the narcissist I have known lie as easily as you and I breathe. So does um, that, is that true for all narcissists? And does that mean they're lying to themselves? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> they, just with what I mentioned to you about how they grow up with the false self, they, they have a hard time being honest about their human nature. Uh, if you hang out with me long enough, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty nice fella. I, I try to help folks out. I'm sure the two of you are nice people, but you hang out with you or me long enough. It's like, whoops, there was a mistake that you made, or I don't think I would have said it quite like that. And you or I as healthy people would say, you got me on that. Sure enough, I did blunder, didn't I? Uh, what did you notice that I uh, didn't pick up on? Or what would you like for me to understand? And healthy people can, can acknowledge that they've got their uh, foibles or their uh, blunders or miscalculations or moments where they just uh, have insensitivities. The narcissist is like, I'm not going to say anything like that. Uh, and so they, they can't be honest with themselves. And if you, uh, uh, find them or see them being uh, inappropriate and you say, let's talk about it. Uh, for example, let's say a narcissist yells at someone and shames them and you say, hey, we need to talk about that because uh, I, I saw you acting inappropriately over there. The narcissist will come back and they'll either say, that's not what happened or you misinterpreted it or it, if, if I did do something wrong, it was their fault. They'll, they'll do anything but be honest about what was going on. It's somebody else's fault. It's the universe's fault. And so they have a hard time having that sense of stark honesty and, and acknowledging, you know, like everyone else, I'm, I'm always in a growth mode. I, I appreciate when someone is, is able and willing to help me along in my growth. They can't do that. That's just not in their makeup. So it's, um, it's, it's very hard to break in when you have somebody that has that 
that thick uh, defensive wall in front of them. Wow. That's intense. I think, I think so many people who have had cyclical patterns with narcissists, narcissists in their lives are on red alert to, am I bringing in the same person with a different face? So I love your advice of take it slow, be calm with yourself, make sure that you're not being gaslighted or whatever other terms you want to use. So that would really be your, your premise with this is find your own inner knowing and truth and come from a place of kindness. And if it's not being reciprocated, there's some red flags. Exactly. Now, uh, let, let's, so, and, and here's where we go back to the comment you made about the spectrum. The, the people that are on the far end of the spectrum, the malignant mar narcissists, are, and then they can even go further with sociopathy and, and psycho uh, the psychopathy, those kind of things, they're going to show their colors really quickly. The, the frustrating thing is when you have that person, and again, this is not technical, but I'm just saying this for point of uh, illustration. Let's say that it's at the 75% level. They, they have quite a bit of that control stuff. Sometimes they're okay. They're kind of nice. But as a general, the narcissism has a pretty strong hold on their personalities. Uh, sometimes they can come across um, nice enough for a while but then even over time, uh, it's, it's going to, to show up. It just takes a little bit longer for it to be seen. Or somebody that you think is a really nice person turns out they're down at the 40% level, if I can use that analogy. And so uh, they, they may not show their true colors or that part of themselves for even longer. So uh, uh, particularly when it's dating and uh, friendships or getting involved in business uh, ventures with folks, you just kind of have to remind yourself, it takes time and many episodes and many experiences before the fullness of that individual is going to show itself. The good news is I have plenty of patience to draw upon. I'm not in any kind of rush. Well, to be able to say that presumes that you have your own inner calm and your inner peace that you're drawing upon. And that's what the empath has to, uh, to anchor down on. Uh, people that have the empath tendency tend to be the nicest folks that you want to know and they're helpful, and they, they appreciate beauty, and they appreciate uh, goodness and uh, uh, joviality. Um, but the one thing, as you have insinuated, is they've got to be kind of careful about make, making sure that they keep their boundaries up and they don't allow themselves to get so optimistic that they play into the schemes of that controller. Right, or under the belief that they will change. Because you've said many times, narcissists do not change. Yes, or another way that I put it is when you have a, a relationship and one is more positive and the other is more negative, the, the negative one wins. And you know, by win, I mean they, they ultimately become the ones who calls the shots because the more positive person doesn't feel the need to do that. So uh, anyway, so you, have to, you just have to know what you're dealing with and, and what human nature can lead to. So if someone's getting ready to leave a narcissist, what are some things they need to do? I mean, obviously, if it's a malignant narcissist, there could be the potential of some backlash. But in yeah. general, how should a person prepare to leave a narcissist? Do they need to get an attorney, a therapist, document everything? Like, what are some tips you have for that stage? Yeah, and it all depends on the nature of the relationship, if it's dating or marriage, if it's a business relationship, or if it's a social situation. So each of those kind of scenarios is going to have a different uh, strategy, if you will. Uh, let's start with a don't first, and that is don't go into um, punishing mode towards the narcissist. Uh, 
uh, you might say something like, hey, you know what? You've made my life miserable for all this time, and I've got a thing or two to show you. <laughs> you can try to go into that, and all you're going to do is just get down in that uh, mud pen with the pig when, that, when you do something like that. Having said that, then, what you do is you develop your own strategy privately. Uh, I know that this is a person that is, is not healthy for me. Any attempts that I've made to talk it through with that person just makes it worse. And so I'm not going to discuss it with that person. I'm not going to, uh, at least not right off the bat, I'm not going to plead my case one more time. I'm just going to make my plan. And if it means that you have to move out or if you're just going to uh, cease being with them socially or whatever it might be, uh, then you go ahead and begin implementing that plan. And then you draw in people who can help you with that plan as is needed. If it's in a marriage, if you have to get an, uh, an attorney's help, or if it's in a social situation, if you need to uh, get yourself with a different kind of social group, you know, things like that. But you go ahead and formulate your plan and you don't. Uh, give the narcissist permission to do battle with you. Now, they will eventually, once they find out what you're up against or what you're doing, they will try to come against you. Uh, but you have to hold firm and just have a real strong sense of resolve. And you mentioned, do they need a therapist? Well, they probably, the, the person who's exiting from a narcissist needs somebody who's going to be an in-the-know support system for them. And so let's kind of keep them, keep them uh, anchored and keep them on the path. Remember why you're doing this. Remember what you're doing this for. Remember where you're trying to go. And so, uh, but you have to do it uh, in, a, in a sense that says, I'm resolute about this. I'm tired of hurting. Mm, that's really great advice. I always equate that to, you know, putting yourself in the driver's seat. What direction do you want your life to take? But that's such poignant advice as far as, and I remember a specific situation in my life where I, I had to switch and think through that person's way of looking at life and saying, like, to stay a step ahead so that I could make a strategy and a plan to empower myself and, and step away from a very um, negative place. And I think that yes. that's a huge thing is that as empaths or as kind people or highly sensitive or whatever moniker we want to put on it, we have, as a whole, a lot of us have a very difficult time thinking that someone is really coming from that perspective of wanting to control or manipulate or you, because we might feel such love or compassion or friendship for someone that we have a really hard time jumping over that fence and putting yourself exactly. in the driver's seat to say, okay, holy shit, I'm not taking this anymore. You have to be keep a step ahead, and that's, that's not easy work. Well, and, and like I said a little earlier, the empath operates with the mantra that says, can't we all just get along? Right. And uh, the narcissist will say, sure, I'll be glad to get along, and what they mean is do it my way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you finally say, I'm breaking through from that, I'm not going there anymore, it just feels so counterintuitive to the empathic way of life. And, and it is, because it's, it's, it's acknowledging uh, a certain defeat. This, it didn't work. And, and, you know, who wants to say, I'm defeated? Um, but some, it's kind of like, uh, if you can use an entirely different thing, let's say you have a, you're in the stock market, you had a stock that was doing well, but then it just uh, keeps losing money. Well, at some point you sell it and you have to just move on and take your loss and, and go. And it's the same thing that we're talking of a much more substantial nature in the relationship market. Uh, sometimes you have to take your loss and move on and it feels uncomfortable and awkward in the moment, but you have to think big picture and, and know that sometimes you have to 
uh, pull back so that you can move forward. You know what image has always helped me with that, Dr. Carter, is I'll think about me and the narcissist having a tug of war over a big muddy pile. And if I just let go of the rope and walk (laughs) away, they fall in the mud, not me. (laughs) She said, yeah, that's, that's a good analogy. I'm not playing that game anymore. You can do the tug of war, you win. That's right. Also the one in the mud. <laughs> I just yep. think that's that's helpful to remember. And you know, a lot of our listeners, they have cuz I'm honest, I love my therapist. I think everybody should be in therapy. And I've gotten so many emails from people saying, "Oh my gosh, you talk so openly about that. Aren't you embarrassed?" So, could you just tell people a little bit about going to a therapist and how it's not a bad thing at all? Um, well, of course, uh, me being a therapist, you no, know, not at all, is it? Uh, first, let, let me just say from a therapist perspective, when somebody comes into my office and says, I'm hurting and let me talk with you about why, it's such an honor for me to to be on the uh, the same team as somebody that says, I, I want to grow. And and and, I, and whenever people tell me some of their painful stories, I feel like I'm I'm there standing on hallowed ground with them. It's like what again, what an honor it is, and having the ability to be open with somebody, unfortunately, is not as common as it needs to be uh, inside of families or marriages or close friendships. And so, if you if you've had a, a great lack of that safe. Uh, kind of relationship style that uh, where a person says, yeah, I really want to talk things out with you. And you haven't been able to get that inside your family of origin or marriage or some of your friendships. Well, we therapists, ideally, when we're uh, doing our work well, well, we want to set a pace or set an atmosphere that says, here's a place where you can be you. And uh, let's let's see if we can uh, figure out what it means for you to uh, to to discover the healthiest and the best you, and and where you're going to go with that, and what kind of things you're going to need to remove so that you can uh, not be hindered in that effort. And it, it's it's a wonderful engagement that you're able to have when you go in with a therapist who wants to think with you on that. And and like I say, if you had a lack of that uh, kind of experience, and there's no one in sight in your regular world that can do that with you, then by all means, be glad that you can avail yourself to a circumstance where that can happen. That is so beautifully said. And it is an honor to witness that for someone. It's that story you told in one of your YouTube videos about the grocery store clerk who was being verbally abused by a narcissist and she started to cry and you thought she was crying because the man had been so mean to her, but she said, no, you're the first person who's ever stood up for me. Yeah. And that's kind of how I look at therapy sometimes. It's like having a cheerleader in your own corner. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, when I go home at the end of the day and my wife says, well, uh, how was your day? It's like, well, how do I answer that? Because <laughs> uh, I hear some of the stories. <laughs> right. um, but it, it's, it, it truly, uh, counseling, when it's managed properly, it's, it's something that can bring out uh, the best in you and it teaches you how to live life with a sense of goodness and decency. Again, I go back to dignity, respect, stability. Uh, we learn those kind of things and, and we learn how we got in the other direction that uh, did not serve that well, but we learn how to uh, turn that uh, ship around and go in the better direction. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. I love that. Well, Denise, do you have another question or do you no. want me to? 
Right. Well, I am okay. just so very grateful for this conversation. Thank you. Well, it's been I my pleasure being with you all. I have to tell you, Dr. Carter, so we, Denise and I did a show on Narcissist, oh, like early on when we first started the podcast, and now we're revisiting it. But back then, a listener emailed me and said, loved the topic, keep doing it. If you want to learn more about it, please check out this YouTube video. He's called the Dr. Phil of YouTube. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you knew <laughs> that that's what you're called. <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, here's the funny thing. Uh, Dr. Phil is, I think, two years older than me, and he went. To, we went to the same graduate school. Oh, wow. And I, I, I do get quite a few comments about my accent, and it's like, well, it's, it's the only one I have. And uh, <laughs> it's like, you talk just like Dr. Phil. It's like, well, he grew up in the same general area as I did, I guess so, and we went to the same graduate school. I didn't know him. I knew his name. And uh, when he got famous, it's like, wasn't that that guy you know, that used to do this? And so there he is, and here I am. Oh, and, see, uh, I don't think they call you the Dr. Phil of YouTube because of your accent. I think, you yeah. know, Dr. Phil is called the tell it like it is, Dr. Phil. That's how yeah. I look at it, because I feel like you don't, you don't sugarcoat things, but you're also not in people's faces. You just put very difficult concepts in really simplistic, easy to understand, yep. practical ways. Um, my, my core philosophy says I, I want to talk straight with you. I want to talk truth with you. And as I do, I want you to feel like you're going to be able to walk away with your dignity still intact. In other words, we can be directed with each other, but we, and we can do it respectfully. Or we can be direct with each other and we can be rude. Uh, so I'd rather be respectful. Uh, exactly. That's the way I like to be talked to. Back to the DRC. Get that coffee bug. I will buy one. <laughs> <laughs> you got me inspired. I may actually have to do that. <laughs> okay. So All once right. again, everyone, please check out his books, When Pleasing You is Killing Me, The Anger Trap, and Enough About You, Let's Talk About Me, How to Recognize and Manage the Narcissist in Your Life. He also has the two YouTube channels, Surviving Narcissism and Dr. Les Carter. And you can go to his website, drlescarter.com. And you have a lot of great videos on your website. And anyone can check those out, right? Yeah. Uh, I've got some video workshops. I, have, I actually have a, a one that we're working on right now called Free to Be. And it's a video workshop where I'm going to give some presentation, but I'm going to have you go through questions and all like that. Well, that, that's going to be coming out in a while. Uh, so I'm, I'm always working on stuff. You are. You're busy, but we're very, very grateful. And we hope you'll come back on our show and talk more about empaths and how we can learn to survive and thrive and still be kind, compassionate people. It's been my, ple my pleasure to be with you, and, and I just hope nothing but the best for you and your audience as you go forward. Uh, sounds like you've got a good thing going here. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you have a great week. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.